He's a police officer. He went through some training, some special training for active shooters and decided he needed to make some changes. And that helped save a shooting victim's life. He's here to talk about that and more on the Law Enforcement Today show. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. We are thrilled to partner with Shatterproof at FHE, the world-renowned treatment program for first responders, because at times, helpers need help. Exclusive treatment services for first responders who may suffer from exposure to trauma, PTSD, anxiety, depression, and substance abuse. For free 24-7 information, call 833-776-1420. 833-776-1420. That's 833-776-1420. Or online at fhehealth.com. That's fhehealth.com. Under programs, you'll find details about Shatterproof. Calling us from Pennsylvania, the Philadelphia suburbs, we have Dave Voorhees on the phone. Dave is a police officer, and he is a police officer with what agency? Prospect Park Police Department. And you got permission to have this conversation. I I, got to tell people this. The First Amendment is live and well unless you work in policing. Then you, unless you have authority or clear-cut permission to talk in the media, you can't. And it's not a negative. It's just... Public information officers, controlling information, all that stuff. So please tell your chief and everybody on down below, we said thank you very much. Absolutely, I will do. We're going to talk about something that is unique in one way, but because of your actions before the shooting. But what's not unique is the fact that during your police career, you saved the life of someone. And when cops save lives, it doesn't get any attention unless they do something spectacular we are in the media seems to be so focused on anything and distort. So anything is positive. It doesn't get reported. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, I would feel like more along the lines of our mistakes are more broadcasted than uh, what we actually do for society. Right. In your case, you actually saved a 17 year old's life who'd been shot. Am I correct on that one? That's correct. Yeah. Well, here's before we get into the details of this. I want people to understand this. We would get a call, like when I was a police officer, we get a call and you go from dead boredom to life and death scenarios and extreme adrenaline rushes. You get a call for a shooting and you're on the way and you're automatically going through your mind, things I got to do, things that need to be done. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's a false alarm. You're like, oh, then you got to get back down to normal again. In your case, you got a call for a shooting and it was not a false alarm. Yeah, what had actually happened was the initial call-out was just for a possible shot fired, uh, possibly fireworks. And what happened was after that, it actually got upgraded, I would say about a minute later. Uh, it got dropped out as a tone, an emergency tone, which was then a uh, call for shots fired and a subject down. 
So that, that all the information you had is uh, what I'm getting at is a lot of times you don't have a lot of information. Correct. You you really don't. I mean, there's so many times, and you know, as a police officer, you're going in almost blind. You know, you're going in with limited information. And the other thing is what information you do get, you always have to take it with a grain of salt because, A, it could be flat out wrong. It could be malicious. It could be someone who's mistaken. It doesn't matter. So you just can't come in guns a blazing. You've got to respond and treat every situation accordingly. Yep, absolutely. So in this situation, you get on scene. What do you find? Uh, I'm the first officer on scene. I can see a crowd gathering around this 17-year-old young man who's laying on the ground. And, you know, immediately you go into that mode of, all right, survey the scene and officer safety and start triaging. Like, what do I need to do? What what actions do I need to take? Yeah. And so from there, it was, you know, it was a really hostile crowd. It, it, that's usually the case. And quite often, when you start talking about this, Dave, I, it brought back memories of going to calls for shots fired and finding a subject down in the middle of the street. And it's a 16 year old kid who's taking her last breath and people all around yelling. It's almost like it's free Saturday night entertainment. Yeah. I mean, it was, I was met with a lot of, I don't want to say hostility, but it was more along the lines of like, all right, do something, do something, do something. You know, this is your fault. And you know, you have to put that out of your mind. You have to do what you're trained to do. Not what, you know, if your feelings are hurt or whatever else, it's what is my job? What is my training? I'm trained to help save lives. And you immediately go into that mode of, all right, what, what do I need to do? What actions do I need to take? The amount of first aid training we got was probably the only thing that surpassed it was the amount of, was law and patrol practices. Uh, so it, and it's always ongoing. People lose sight of the fact that when you have a medical emergency, quite often the first person that responds that arrives on scene is a law enforcement officer. Absolutely. And one of the first things we're tasked with doing is first aid and trying to save lives and protect lives. And I know that sounds corny, the old protect and serve, but it's the truth. No, I, I agree 100%. I mean, you would say, I mean, I'm sure in your career and mine, 90% of the time, who's the first on scene for all these 911 calls is us as the police. Yeah. It, it, that that's the truth. And I'm not saying there's a negative against our firefighter brothers and sisters. Look, I'll tell you this. The only time I prayed that they would hurry up is when a woman was in labor. I was so afraid of delivering this baby that, uh, thank goodness they got there in time. Cause I was sweating bullets, my friend. Oh, I, I hear you on that. Now I joke with my uh, firefighter and medic friends a lot that we as police are more proactive, whereas they are reactive. You know, they're not, usually out driving around looking for something they're they're responding to calls whereas we as police are we're out and about you know i mean i'm sure in your career how many hours a day you spend in your patrol car uh, eight eight hours a day minimum yeah i mean you're you're in your patrol car it's your office it's your diner it's your restaurant it's almost your everything yeah and in a way it's a bit of a cocoon and then you get out and you get on scene for really hostile and i'm not saying hostile as in people are trying to hurt you i'm just saying there's a lot of upset people listen this advanced age dave i'm very sensitive to too much noise and too too many people yelling and screaming i do not care Mm. for it one bit and i can imagine you being on scene for the shooting and lots of people yelling yeah i mean they're they're yelling at you like what are you going to do do something and of course immediately you know you go right to the victim you start to just kind of drown them out in a sense in your head. You're going towards what you know you need to do. And it's like that, that takeover of where I know what I need to do. I need to save 
this person's life to the best of my ability and to what I am trained to do. And at that point, I just, you go into that mode. How bad off were they when you got there? I know we do a quick triage and I know we're not medics. I know we're not EMTs, but you've got to triage them and then try to make a determination. How bad in your mind was he? I mean, the first thing you're looking for is, all right, we know we have a gunshot victim. How many times was he shot? And is there exit wounds? Or is that bullet still in there somewhere? Uh, for this victim, it was one gunshot wound to the upper left abdominal area, so like a little bit below the rib cage. And unfortunately, that bullet did not come out. I mean, it went in and it did substantial damage, uh, at which point, you know, you're looking to kind of pack that wound as much as you can and to try to stop that bleeding as best as you possibly can because, I mean, you know seconds count, and sometimes that's all the difference is is seconds. The truth is, it can go from one of the first things we had to do. Was was the subject conscious when you got there, or were they unconscious? I would say more along the lines of semi-conscious. I mean, he couldn't really answer questions or anything like that. So it's kind of hard when, you know, you're getting that third-hand information of uh, witnesses and stuff like that. But at that point, you're more focused on how to, what do I need to do to save his life? And the reason I bring that up is, and as corny as this sounds, is we talk to the victim. Even if they really couldn't talk back, let them know they're, they're not alone. We're there. We're going to help them. Even if you meant lying to them, pull through. You're going to make it through. It's just a matter of a few minutes. We're going to be fine. Time does slow down. This is the Law Enforcement Show. We're turning our conversation with police officer Dave Voorhees in just a few moments. If you're on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app, be sure to look for me and follow me. My name's John, the letter J, Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y. You can also search for at L-E-T Radio Show. That's John J. Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y, at L-E-T Radio Show on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app. We'll be right back. What makes Shatterproof a very unique program is it's one of the only programs in the country that first responders can go to that is 100% all first responders. Everybody's in pretty bad shape when they get here. And then 30 days later, when you can see the transformation and the difference in people when they've had 30 days uh, of counseling, working with therapists, working with a psychiatrist, getting the neuro treatment. The transformation that happens with the clients is really humbling to be able to work around and see because people are getting better here. And it just shows that there's a need for the first responder community to deal with behavioral health issues and take them seriously and offer treatment to people that may need help out there. For free 24-7 information, call 833-776-1420 or online at fhehealth.com. Are you wondering where you can find more great podcasts? Head to letradioshow.com, click Be Heard, and discover other fantastic podcasts like this one. Also available on our free app, all at letradioshow.com. This is Law Enforcement Day Show. Return our conversation with police officer Dave Voorhees from uh, the Pennsylvania, the Philadelphia suburbs. He's an active duty police officer. I believe it is the Prospect Park Police Department. Is that correct? That is correct. 
I'm so glad I got it right. I was having, I was sweating bullocks thinking I'm going to get it wrong. <laughs> We're talking about uh, a shooting situation. He rolled up on, uh, I got a call for, it's a 17-year-old young man. He had been shot. He was in really bad shape. You did your initial assessments. A loud crowd around, lots of, uh, not so much animosity, but lots of people yelling. I can only imagine what that was like. And you did a quick survey, Dave. Prior, you said, hey, this is bad. I gotta do something. I gotta stop the bleeding because I don't know that this guy's gonna make it. It's a pretty frustrating feeling when you don't know if they're gonna make it or not, isn't it? Yeah, it's hard. I mean, as, our, as police officers, you just don't always know. I mean, there's so many times that you're not sure, but you know that you wanna try to do the best you can. You wanna try to help that person. I got to tell you this, before we get into your actions, that incident, there are many times where we go, this person's not going to make it. In our mind, we know they're not going to make it, and they don't, and we're trying to talk to them, and it's for the benefit of everybody else. Hey, you're going to be okay. We're going to pull through this. It's going to be all right, and you know they're not going to make it because it's just the breathing's not not right. Everything's wrong, and then sometimes... Those same situations, you are certain they're not going to make it, they do. And other times where you're certain they're going to make it, they don't, and it's devastating for you. Mm. Oh, yeah, I've been there. They think People think that we don't care. Look, I found out guys that, that I worked on died in the ambulance or died in the emergency room, and I was devastated. I didn't know this person from Adam, but you... They're, they're, I don't know how to describe this, Dave. You, you When you're on scene and someone is in really, really bad shape, you can't help but develop some sort of bond, even if they don't know you, and even if they don't like you. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's definitely tough, the amount of stuff that, you know, I've seen over the years, and people that I've had, unfortunately, die while I was working on them, you know, whether it's, you know, adults, I've had children pass on me, and uh, it's the kids' ones that are really hard, they, they yeah. really hit home for you, you know. I want to go back to this situation. The 17-year-old had been shot. He's in critical condition, not doing well. You, you made a determination. You've got to do something to stop this bleeding or they're not going to make it. What did mm. you do? Uh, like I said, as soon as I got there, I began to assess the scene. From there, I have an active shooter trauma kit that's in my patrol car. That is my own personal kit that I put together. Immediately upon realizing that, okay, he's in really bad shape. I ran back to my patrol car. I opened up that bag, and what I keep in there is, uh, it's not a whole lot, but one of the things I keep is it's actually quick clot hemostatic gauze. And, you know, what do you, what do you learn in the academy? you got to pack that wound. you got to stop that bleeding. So immediately I grabbed that pack, opened it up, started packing that wound and applying pressure to try to control that bleeding as best as possible. And this product is called Quick Clot. Yep. Now, this is something that... They didn't have back in the day for me. I remember we used to use towels. We'd use whatever we could get our hands on. Sometimes mm. it was articles of our own clothing, and it, and it didn't matter. But we didn't have things like Quick Clot. I didn't even know that it existed. Yeah, I was uh, through a lot of like doing my own research and just uh, drawing from contacts like U.S. Army, combat medics, paramedics, uh, ER doctors, EMTs, just trying to learn more about what I could. And... Uh, now, a lot of people were saying, look, quick clot, it's, it's not the actual powder like people think of like in the movies and stuff. It's an actual hemostatic dressing. So what you're doing is just you're pulling that dressing out that has that quick clot, and you're packing it into that wound to try to suck up as much blood and stop that blood as much as you can. Now, this is in a bag that you put together. 
That's correct. Yeah, I put this bag together on my own time and on my own dime, so to speak. I mean, this is stuff that I paid for in my own pocket. What are some of the things you put in there? So what I keep in there for me is I keep a handful of tourniquets that if you need to, you know, grab and go, I keep the quick clot, uh, five by nines, the abdominal pads. Uh, I keep some other things in there like uh, cell ox, which I learned from a uh, U.S. Army combat medic to it pretty much is like that powder that you're thinking of, but it's not as much as a quick clot. Now, I mean, I can't, I'm not sure the exacts of it because I'm not a doctor. Um, but I also keep like the chest seals for sucking chest wounds, things like that. Rubber gloves, an extra pair of uh, EMT shears, and just some odds and ends. Where like a Mylar space blanket. Where, where did you get the the idea that you needed to put this together and have it handy? I, look, I know we've been doing this for a long time, but I want to talk about you and why you said, hey, I got to have this. So several years ago, uh, officers were asked if we would be willing to attend the FBI alert course, which is, of course, an acronym because in law enforcement, we love our acronyms. But uh, what that stands for, it's the Advanced, uh, I'm trying to remember, it's the Advanced Law Enforcement Rapid Response Training, I believe is what it stands for. And what you do is you spend several days going over what we as law enforcement have learned from previous shootings, active shootings, from either the workplace or in schools. And then they put you through some, uh, you do simunition, which I'm sure you know what that is. Uh-huh. Yeah, so we went through that, and then just taking what I learned from that FBI alert course and realizing that, you know what, we are a lot of times the first ones on scene. And, I mean, I I need to start keeping something that in the event that I am there, you know, I need to have something that can help me. And I started putting together just, you know, a small bag from there and then drawing upon people, just starting to build and customize it from there to say, you know what, this is something that could potentially save someone or people's lives. And I get this 100%. We used to create our own bags. Now, granted, they were different. We didn't have hmm. the tools that you have at disposal now. Look, I'm talking the 1980s and early 90s. We would do things like the teddy bears we hear a lot about. We'd have those in a patrol car. Uh, we'd have hmm. one. We'd have... Little lollipops, other hard candies. Uh, and by the way, the, the lollipops and hard candies weren't always for children. Sometimes they're for people who had an alcohol problem and, and wound up DTing. That if they were still conscious, the candy would help. Same with mm-hmm. uh, with people with diabetes that they had in this situation. You'd have to assess it very quickly. And sometimes, and hopefully you got it right. Most of the time we got it right. So we'd have things, and you know why I reminded of Dave is carrying a knife. I never carried a knife on my person because I was always fearful of getting a brawl, and I'd have, and I've been many. That's something else I had to defend mm. against. However, I did have a patrol bag used to cut people out of their seatbelts. Yep. These are all tools that, that a lot of people don't realize. And you know what? They're not issued to us. We had to come up with them on our own. Absolutely. Uh, even now, um, we carry, a lot of us are starting to carry the Raptors. I'm not sure if you know what they are. I don't, but how about we do this? We're going to take a short break. When we return to our conversation with Dave Voorhees, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk more about some of the things that he and other police officers are carrying, the reasons why, and then we're going to get into some of his experiences on the job. He is a police officer in the suburbs of Philadelphia, Prospect Park, Pennsylvania. This is the Law Enforcement Day Show. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. 
The Officer Down Memorial Podcast tells the real stories of the men and women we've lost in the line of duty. It is one of the darkest days in Itasca County's history. From the officers who were there. He's probably maybe one of the best investigators and a natural born one. And family and friends who were left behind. You try and get distance from people's tragedies, but the death of Beefy, it just shot home to all of us how permanent murder is. You can subscribe to the Officer Don Memorial Podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. There's only one official Facebook page. What you do, you do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. Click like and follow. There you'll find updates about upcoming episodes of the radio show. You can contact me. We also find unique, one-of-a-kind editorials and news articles. That is our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Be sure to click like and follow. We'll see you there. Return a conversation with Dave Voorhees, police officer in Prospect Park, Pennsylvania, which, by the way, is a suburb of Philadelphia. And we're talking about an incident where a 17-year-old was shot, critically shot, and Dave had his own kit in his car, a trauma kit including tourniquets, scissors, gloves, special wound dressings, quick clot gauze. And that is what saved the 17-year-old's life and gave him time to get to the hospital and get the treatment he needed. So thank you for doing that. It's very much appreciated. Thank you. And I appreciate your service as well. I forgot to say that. Uh, before we went to break, Dave, you mentioned Raptor. What is that? So the Raptors are basically a multi-tool kit, but... EMT shears. Uh, they are probably one of the strongest EMT shears I've ever seen. So what they do is they fold up in a little holster that you can keep on your belt or for us in my department where we work, we get to utilize the outer carrier vests with the molly webbing so we can just drop them right on there and pull them out as needed. And what they are is, uh, for the most part, they're EMT shears, but they do have like a seatbelt cutter, the glass punch and all that on the back end. Perfect. But for it, me, you know, what I, I use them for is uh, cutting up and clothing or whatever else I need. For, I was just getting uh, ready to ask that. I, I can't tell you how yeah. many times people would get mad at me for cutting their pants. <laughs> they survived. <laughs> we didn't have Narcan, but you, you get the message like, dude, you cut my best pants. What's wrong with you? Well, you were dying. <laughs> you know, we had to find out. So, uh, look, there was, there's no winning. You're right and you're wrong all at the same time. And even though you save a life. Sometimes people are mad at you and they're making complaints. And I'm wondering, mm. while you're treating a 17-year-old, if someone made complaints and accusations against you that he did something wrong. He was hitting a kid when he's doing CPR. I've heard that one before, too. Oh, yeah. It never ceases to amaze me. So you, you go there, you make the proper assessments. How long were you in the job when this occurred? Uh, how many years experience? Yeah. So I've been serving since 2011, so I'd say right around 10, almost 11 years. So you, you, you're a seasoned pro. You're, you're not a rookie. No, it's definitely not my first day on the job. The reason I bring that up is, and I've got to ask you this, no matter how many years I had in the job, you, we get better at handling the trauma. We get better, better at handling when there's so much going on at one time. You almost get like laser focused. I got this to do, that to do, this to do. And we'd always have some other cop watching our back because we're so focused on trying to take care of the victim that we don't have the time, the ability, the energy to, to check for potential threats. And we've had officers killed and maimed while they were taking care of someone else. 
So mm-hmm. whoever else helped you that day, tell them I said thank you as well. Yeah, I mean, our neighboring department was awesome. They they were there within minutes starting to deal with the crowd. And in my sector, because we're broken down in the sectors in our county, um, you know, the men and women in our sector are just awesome. I mean, we're like one big family. You know, if one of us goes to a call and it's serious, we're all going. Gotcha. We're there to watch each other's backs. Gotcha. That, that's that's the way it's supposed to be. That's part of the squad concept. And, uh, and by the way, squad concept also means when someone's having a bad day or bad incident, we remove them and handle it ourselves, which is a different conversation. What I was getting yeah, at is absolutely. when you're rookie, it's often easy to get overwhelmed by everything and lose sight of this is what I got to do. When you've been on a job mm-hmm. for quite a while, it's a little bit easier to compartmentalize this is what I have to do and put everything to the side while you're doing it. However, for many of us, afterwards, after it's over is when you deal with all that stuff and all the after effects. Was that the case for you? Yeah, you know how it is. That once you're done that scene and you know you finally have that downtime afterwards is when you start to reflect on everything from good and bad. You know, what could I have done better? What, what did I screw up on? You know, should I have done that different? That's when it starts to really, you know, you have, that's the stuff that people don't see on like those TV shows and stuff like that. You know, it's what happens afterwards. What happens when that cop is by himself or herself? And you finally get to reflect on what the heck just happened. Yeah. And you realize how close it was, if not for me, then for someone else. And in that case, yeah. You know, it's it's how we learn. It's how we get better at what we do. When someone has 10 years on a job, they are usually much better at doing it than someone who's six months out of the academy. And I'm not saying rookies are bad. I want to repeat that. I'm not saying rookies are bad. However, if I have an emergency in my house, I want senior men and women showing up. I want the best of the best all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of training you can't get. I mean, you get the best training you can. Every department really goes overboard on the training aspect of it. We do it all the time. Every day, roll call, we had training. We had in-service training. We had about a five-and-a-half-month academy. We were trained all the time. So we're always training and learning. And then going back to what you said, I'm sitting there second-guessing myself. What could I have done better? What could I have been more efficient at? And if they didn't make it, what did I do? What could I have done better to help maybe save that life? Yeah, I mean, you always want to take what you learn and apply it. You know, that's our job is to, sometimes we got to push it and you want to take what you learned and what can I do better at? I mean, it's our job is like many jobs, you know, you don't stop learning. You keep learning what you can updates, whether it's, you know, your, your state certifications or trainings that you want to take on your own. How can you better yourself as a police officer to better serve the community that you are serving, you know? And part of that's got to be the reason why you decided after going that through that training, the specialized training from the FBI, that you needed to create your own trauma kit and have it with you. What what was part of the decision-making process for you about that? Was it driven by your past experience, past experience plus the training, knowing what you're going to face down the road, all the above, or none of the above? I would, I would say overall it's just what I – took away from that training is like what you and I discussed that so many times we are the first on scene. I mean, that's, that's it. We're there. And you can't wait around and look at a victim and be like, Hey, you're going to be okay, but I don't really have anything to help you, but I hope you feel better. It's no, you, you know, as cops, our job is to get in there. It's to protect and to serve. And if that means getting dirty and you got to get in there, I mean, 
I realized that there was a need for my patrol car. So I realized that needing something additional, uh, I started to research on my own, uh, taking into consideration what I learned from that FBI alert course. And like I said, just utilizing from people that have much more knowledge than I do, paramedics, ER doctors, EMTs, people that when they're there, I mean, they're trained more than what we are on how do you save a life. So recognizing all of that, I started to dabble around and put this bag together and you know, fortunately, a shout out to my brothers and sisters and, you know, the paramedics and all that that helped me out by looking into this bag and saying, hey, you know, I don't think you need that, but I would probably add a little more of this, a little less than that. And it just helped me to customize this bag to what was needed. How does one go about, I can understand the conversations with the paramedics, the EMTs, the firefighters. I could understand that one. The one I'm having trouble with is, oh, by the way, I want to talk to an emergency room nurse, a trauma nurse about this, or a doctor. And they're like, what? (laughs) So a lot of times, I mean, you know as a cop, how many times you're in a hospital for bringing somebody in who got hurt or, you know, a drunk driver and you're getting that blood work done. And you just spark up conversation and you say, hey, listen, you know, I have curiosity, you know, putting this bag together. I'd like to, you know, have this or that in my patrol car. What, What do you see? when you're in that emergency room. And I would say out of every single person I talk to, they all agree on one thing, which is stop the bleeding as much as you can, control that bleeding and get them to a hospital. And taking into consideration for that, it was like, you know what? I mean, having a pair of EMT shears to cut them open to start triaging and getting something that can stop the blood. But you can't always put a tourniquet on a chest wound, you know. No, you, can you can't. Put a tourniquet on a leg and an arm, but and, and don't even wounds. get me started on the emergency room's treatment of uh, sucking chest wounds from gunshots or knife wounds or things that it. Mm. If you want to see something that will literally stay with you the rest of your life, being in an emergency room and that happens, it and you're patrol cop, you got to be there in case they make a dying declaration. This is Law Enforcement yep. Today's show. We're talking with Police Officer Dave Voorhees. We're going to talk more about the incident where he saved a 17-year-old's life, his police career, and more. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Missed an episode of Law Enforcement Today? You don't have to anymore, because now you can listen to it on Podopolo, the free new app that makes listening anytime, anywhere so easy. Catch up on shows you've missed and chat with John J. Wiley right there, too. Download for free on the Apple or Google Play stores. That's Podopolo. And John J. Wiley wants to hear from you inside Podopolo. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. We're turning our conversation with police officer Dave Voorhees from Prospect Park Police Department. That's a suburb of Philadelphia and Pennsylvania. And we've been talking about an incident where a 17-year-old was shot and critically shot in bad situation, probably going to die. And Dave had a trauma kit that he created at his own expense, his own time, and saved the young man's life using a quick clot gauze or adhesive bandage to soak up and stop the bleeding so he can get to the hospital. And I applaud you for that. I, I don't want to diminish what you did that day, Dave, but I know being a cop, you understand this. I want people to understand police do this every day. Every day across the United States, this happens all the time where cops are saving lives. They save lives. Mm -hmm. They do things. They help people. 
And yet we never hear about that. All we hear about in the media is all the negative. And anytime there's a mistake or someone goes too far or is something criminal, then it's everybody's painted with the same broad brush. And now I'm going to get off my soapbox. I'm not going to ask you to contribute to that because I don't want you to. But it, this is the kind of thing that cops do. This is what we do. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I know it's redundant, but when you're called to protect and serve, I mean, that protect and serve covers a whole lot of areas. You know, it's not just, oh, you know, protect this or protect that. It's sometimes you need to protect someone. You need to protect something. And I mean, we as police, we're, we're called to serve. I mean, we're, we're there to serve our community that we work in. You know what you said, Dave? that is not lost on me is you said we're here to protect and serve. And I know that is a saying we've all come used to become used to from television, but you talked about protecting and saving other people. What you didn't say was we got to watch for ourselves first. You was, it was designated towards looking out for other people first and then us second. Yep. Did you even notice you said that? And yeah, that's, that's the thing. Like as cops, we're going in there risking our own safety and our own lives to protect someone else that we sometimes don't even know. I mean, how many times, you know, you're there and the person you're trying to save or protect, you've never met them before. You don't know them. They don't know you, but you know, you're called to do that job. And it's important. It's a calling for me. It was a vocation for a lot of people that not for a lot, for some will come in benefits, things of that nature, and fall in love with it. And it becomes a calling for them, and they stay. Other people come into it for the benefits, and it's really not what they're about, and they usually don't stay very long. And by the way, contrary to what you hear on television, if someone is corrupt or they're brutal or these other things that we hear about all the time, they are quickly drummed out of the department. They're either fired, resigned, arrested, or all the above. Mm, Absolutely. Nobody tolerates that. And like you said, it's like, you know, in television, it's not what people see on TV. I mean, what we do is not a, a scripted television show where there's a, a beginning, a middle, an end, a, you know, a protagonist, an antagonist. I mean, this is real life. It's unscripted. It, it totally is. Definitely, yeah. I mean, it, there's people that do stuff. And I'm doing the, the interview a little bit differently because Dave is an active duty police officer. And again, like I said, at the beginning of the show, there's certain things quite often not a lot of talk so i appreciate your chief saying yeah please do but but i yeah. don't want to put dave in a situation where hey somebody can take offense and get upset even though nothing offensive was said so things like opinion what he thought trauma reactions to trauma we're not going to cover i just i want to say this i understand from having done that there were many times mm-hmm. i cried in patrol car uh that i remember telling my side partners in our sector, uh, in my squad, if something happens to me, don't let me die in the alley or in a dirt-filled street. Put me in the back of a wagon, whatever it took. So these yeah. conversations, you and I are not going to have, and that's the reason why. But I got to say something. Your mom reached out to me, and I believe it was through LinkedIn, and said, you got to talk to my son. And mm. part of it, the old joke is, you know, mom's our biggest advocate. Well, mom... <laughs> is one of my biggest advocates and she's also first generation Irish American. And she would be very quick to tell me when I'm wrong. Uh, she has no problem saying that. So I want you to thank your mother for doing the introduction and taking the time to reach out. Cause a lot of people are afraid to. 
Yeah, I didn't even realize it until she reached out to me. She was like, hey, you know, I, I let this person know what you did. And I was just, uh, I was blown away. I was like, I really appreciate that. Because, I mean, the, the news media and all that, it was an honor to get all of the awards and recognition through both, you know, local media and, you know, more. But when your mom's like, hey, I did this for you, it, you know, it gives you that personal touch. Laura said, thank you. Were you getting a lot of attention, you and the department, from local media uh, after this? Yeah, so I was very fortunate. Uh, my chief was very gracious enough that uh, not only did I get a an award accommodation from my department, as well as our council and our mayor, uh, myself and another officer were also given the County of Delaware resolution. So our county council actually took time to recognize myself and another officer for uh, outstanding work for my life save uh, for his uh, award for going into a burning apartment building. And from there, you know, we, we had some news coverage. Uh, CBS News gave me a, uh, an interview where we went in detail about the shooting and did a uh, live, basically like a video of that. And, uh, you know, it was just, it was really nice to see that, you know what? Sometimes we are recognized for what we do right, that we do make a difference for the better. And sometimes the people recognizing are politicians, which is very rare nowadays. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, giving credit to our mayor. I mean, what a great guy. And even our county council that, you know, these people took time to recognize officers in their area that, you know what, they went above and beyond. You know, normally I have a rule of thumb. I don't ever talk about criminals. I don't ever talk about like murderers or serial killers or terrorists. I don't want to give them a platform for doing evil things. I'll talk about victims all day long. The 17 year old, I'm not going to talk about his name. Obviously he, he's a juvenile. Uh, I, yeah. I, I don't really want to talk about how he's doing afterwards. I just hope this is a wake up call for him and that he turns his life around. He, he survived this, didn't he? Yes. Yeah. He is still alive. Thankfully. And that means if he's breathing in and out, he's got a chance. He's got a chance to create a great life for himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, hopefully he can learn what he used and you know make it make it for the better. And I'm sure other departments around you, and even in your own agency, have taken notice of the fact that you created this trauma kit uh, and some of the contents. Are they starting to do the same now? Uh, yeah, so I actually met with my uh, patrol sergeant last week and went over in detail exactly what I have. And he said, we got the okay to let's let's build these bags, put them together for me, and we're going to start putting them in every patrol car. So they're on shift when we need them. So that way, if, you know, God forbid something else happens again, we're there or even to help serve one of our, you know, sister departments or anything like that. And you know what's going to happen is it will happen again. They will be needed again. They'll be needed in your own agency, and they'll be needed in uh, surrounding agencies. And sometimes the people that are needed the most are going to be other cops who are injured. And that's, you know, definitely a reason I keep it in there is, you know, not only, you know, I should say saving lives, but sometimes we, you know, we're hurt too. And if I can help even just for a few seconds, you know, for one of my brothers or sisters to be able to get to that emergency room, then again, it was money that was well spent, you know, we, or even ourselves. We've had guests on the show, other law enforcement officers retired, who've saved their own lives with tourniquets, who saved, saved their own lives. They were by themselves on a car stop on the, the dark, lonely highway that we all talk about, and they were there by themselves, and it, and it went south very quickly. Uh, so I'm mm-hmm. glad they had those tools, and, and they had good lives, as best could be expected afterwards. All these things you have in this bag, 
like company like to make quick clot. Who are these people? How do they find? How do people find out more about them? So what they can do is obviously just you know um, <laughs> certainly not a paid, paid spokesperson for them, but uh, you just go into under quick clot. It's Q U I K quick clot. And it'll pull up, you know, who they are, what they do, and why, uh, you know, the, they don't just offer what I have, which is the hemostatic dressing. They have all kinds of stuff for civilians, for backpacking, biking, all that stuff. And the name of your department, and do they have a website? Uh, so we are Prospect Park Police in Delaware County, Pennsylvania, and it's Prospect Park com. Phenomenal. Please tell everybody that I said thank you. And if someone wants to reach out to you, the best thing to do is probably go through the chief of police and then on down the lines through the website. Certainly. Yeah. If they uh, want to reach out to me, you know, more than happy to talk to people. Uh, but, you know, they would uh, reach out to our chief, Chief Madonna, and uh, they can certainly get a hold of him through that website. They have all our information, uh, phone numbers, all that. There's such a thing called chain of command, and it's oh so important. Uh, Police Officer Dave Voorhees, thanks for your service, and thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Very much appreciated. Thanks so much, man. It's been an honor. I really appreciate it. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.